On episode 588 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Jillian Loktich and discuss her book, Growing Older, Living Younger, The Science of Aging Gracefully, and the Art of Retiring Comfortably. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 588. Have you decided you're ready to make a change? To reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A Precision Nutrition Level 1 coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA Level 2 online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Are you tired of feeling stuck in your weight loss journey? Do you find it difficult to know if you're training effectively? Are you frustrated with the slow pace of progress? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then it's time to take action with 40 Plus Fitness Online Personal Training. You'll have personalized nutrition and training plans designed to address your unique needs and help you achieve your fitness and weight loss goals. 40 Plus Fitness Online Personal Training offers the ultimate convenience, allowing you to train when and where you want to and basically have a coach in your pocket for guidance, support, and accountability. No more wasting time on ineffective workouts or diets that don't work. Take the first step toward a healthier, happier you by scheduling a free discovery call with me at 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. On this call, we'll discuss your unique needs and how you can get the results you want and deserve. And best of all, you'll leave this discovery call with a plan of action. So what are you waiting for? Book your free discovery call with me today by going to 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. Results start with this click, 40plusfitness.com forward slash discovery. Hey, Raz, how are you? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I've, uh, you know, I've been kind of busy and I, you know, I know I've kind of come on this show every week. It's like, I'm busy. I'm busy. You are but, always but, busy. <laughs> but it's like, you know, there's just, there's all these different things that I want to do uh, mm -hmm. for my business, for myself and for whatever. And so, you know, I did, I did get the uh, level two uh, master health coach with um, precision nutrition. But another mm -hmm. thing that I've been doing on this side when I had time is I've been being on getting on other podcasts. So I'm, I've been, oh. you know, uh, being interviewed on other podcasts. And I was recently on one called Fit, um, Fit Mit Turo. Now, Mit okay. in German means with. Um, so Fit with Turo is the English translation of Mit. Fit Mit Turo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and so I just share a bunch of tips and I do focus my tips on things that are beneficial to people over 40. I think he just turned 40. Um, but if you go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash Turo, that's T-U-R-O, uh, that'll take you to his episode. I was on episode uh, 89 that just went live a week or so ago. And so you can listen to that there. Uh, as I hear about the other ones, Aaron, because I've, I've done, I did over 
been like 12 to 13 interviews over the last wow. three months. Uh, but for one reason or another, a lot of them haven't been uh, published. So as I hear mm. about one being published, I'll try to let you guys know. Awesome. Uh, and I'll probably start posting this stuff on Facebook too. So if you're Good. part of our Facebook group, you can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group. You can join our Facebook group and I'll be posting links and things there as well. Great. That's awesome. Sounds fun. So how are things up there? Good. I think I told you last week it was spring. Now we're back to winter again. (laughs) 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 I know we had some snow over the weekend, but it's, but we just had a lovely weekend. Anyway, we did a lot of outside chores and, and before the snow started, but it's just, it's nice to have kind of spring and to be able to spend some time outside. Now I got a break from it. So, <laughs> well, yep. you know, you know, Lucy's going to pull that football away, right? As you exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what happens up here in Michigan. So hopefully spring will come back pretty soon, but yep. Just staying busy, doing things around the house, getting the yard ready. Yeah. It's fun stuff. All right. You ready to have a conversation with Jill? Sure. Our guest today, a medical specialist, professor, international speaker, wife and mother had it all. Then her life drastically changed. She lost her husband of 30 years to cancer. Her adult children moved away to pursue academic and professional careers. She downsized from her family home to a downtown high-rise condo and retired from her 25-year medical career. Then a devastating back injury forced her to give up ballroom dancing, the physical and social activity that was a primary source of happiness in her life. This book tells the story of her journey from an inactive, overweight, widowed, isolated, depressed retiree to a vibrant author, speaker, entrepreneur, and dancer she is today. Her book is a call to action, an invitation to you to live out your best aging trajectory, no matter where you are on your journey. With no further ado, here's Jillian Lottich. Jill, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Now, your book, Growing Older, Living Younger, The Science of Aging Gracefully, and the Art of Retiring Comfortably. Mm-hmm. I love that title um, because it, it kind of blends some things that um, that are kind of been a theme here. And a lot of books that have come out recently and, and books that have been around for a while is, I think all of us look at getting older uh, with some trepidation, you know, there's this aging curve that we're going to, we're going to fall down and, um, and then we're going to end up at the bottom of this thing. And in many cases, we're not doing it gracefully. <laughs> uh, we're not doing it gracefully. And then we're looking at retirement. And what we see is most people who are in retirement age are not living well. Their health span is gone and their lifespan is long. And so they're going through all these health issues. And, and many of us now, uh, in our, particularly in our 40s and 50s, are, are kind of in that middle zone of our parents at that point where we're seeing these things with our parents, or in some cases, unfortunately, have seen these things with our parents because they passed, and we're still busy raising kids. Um, so we're in this sandwich generation. And, and I think there's some blessings in this because we get to look back, look forward, that, that, you know, literally our parents are our look into the future if we live the way they live. And so I want to talk about that. And I think that's one of the cool things about this book is your story and then your experience as, as a doctor and a scientist and how you've pulled this all together to kind of give us the tools to really look at that in a good way. 
the premise behind the book is that we do not need to age as our parents and grandparents did because we have tools and mechanisms and strategies now that we're aware of that we can change things. And again, the premise is that instead of going on a steady downhill to old age, we actually keep healthy, active, vibrant right until the end and then just go clunk. That's my philosophy. <laughs> just go clunk. <laughs> now, to start out this book, if we're if we're going to understand the science, um, then we have to understand the human body and to me, the, the science of the human body is is probably the most complex science of any of the sciences out there. Uh, we keep learning new things. I know when I was in school all the way up until college, you know, we were learning about genetics and it was the simple, you know, certain genes are going to make your eye color blue. Some of them are going to make them brown. And if you have four kids and this parents, then you're going to have three with brown eyes and one with blue eyes. And that's that's kind of how genetics work. And then then we got into epigenetics. And when I first started learning about that, it was like these, these are like the dip switches on our old computers. I had, I had an Epson, which is a clone of an IBM. It had little, like all these little dip switches in the back. So if you wanted the computer to function a certain way, you had to move the dip switch. So it was either on or off. So we were taught genes were either on or off. Recently, though, we've learned that that genes are more like a dimmer switch. And there's tens of thousands of permutations of each gene, uh, which means there's billions and billions and billions, untold billions, maybe trillions of options, if you will, of how our operating system, our genetic genome is actually going to function. And so you start getting this like, wow, this is so complex. How is someone going to learn what this is? Um, and I've read a few books, uh, and, and it, they, a lot of them lose me, but you had this analogy of a corporate factory that I think gives us kind of this, gives us enough of a picture of this to really kind of understand how much control we have. So can you talk about your corporate factory analogy of epigenetics? Well, I thought that the absolute key to understanding our bodies and our metabolism is the realization that we are in fact a factory that operates 24 hours a day, nonstop, basically from the time of conception and until the time that we die. And so I think about it as if you think about a, a factory, first of all, it's a business, right? So there is a CEO who is responsible for setting the vision, uh, setting the goals, setting the direction. Um, and I think of our mind as that. And I'll go back to that in a bit. Underneath the um, CEO is somebody who is responsible for actually keeping the factory operating. And I call that the COO, Chief Operating Officer. And it's really fascinating that everything, all our metabolism, all our activities is are really controlled by our COO, which is a master clock that is located in the hypothalamus of our brain. And that master clock directs all our circadian rhythms and is sends messages to minor little clocks in every single organ that basically regulates how our metabolism works. 
So the next component, um, the, the chief operating officer, uh, is responsible for workshops. So I, I sort of think about the individual organ systems, for example, our heart or tissues, muscles, that sort of thing, as an independent little sub-factory or workshop within the overall business. And in each of those factory uh, workshops, there are a number of units where all the business of the of the factory happens, and those are our cells. Within our cells, we have tools that build things, break them down, detoxify, and those all require uh, they require building blocks and nutrients. They require energy to perform. They require messages and signals to tell them um, how much they need to make, when they need to stop making things. Um, and, and then finally, uh, they need to figure out exactly how much to make. So if, if you sort of think about the factory, your body as a factory that's working 24 hours a day, nonstop, every single cell is active then you realize that you, there's there's a lot of things that your your body needs to function efficiently so you need to be able to generate the energy for all of those cells you need to supply them with the building blocks whether it's amino acids to make proteins or um, micronutrients to make the reactions work well so that's basically how i sort of conceive the um, the metabolism and the functioning of the body. The reason I like that is because it kind of it gives you a picture of how complex this is, because if one part of the factory keeps making stuff when the other parts of the factory don't need it, you, you've got a, you've got a, a dysfunction there. And, and when we get dysfunction in the body, um, it tells us in, in one way, we start feeling, we start feeling bad. Our energy levels are low. We start, you know, dealing with different problems, uh, chronic diseases, um, things like that. And so by us doing the right things for ourselves, we're helping with that signaling. Like a, a, an example would be if we don't go to sleep, if we don't sleep well, right. then we don't close down certain factories for them to be cleaned up like our brain. And so if we don't sleep well, then we don't have time in the brain, which is a pretty important part of this factory, uh, to do the cleaning that's necessary. The cleaning crew can't come in. And if it can't come in, eventually the brain doesn't function as well. The brain's not functioning as well. Then it's not doing its job as the CEO and COO of this factory. And therefore, the whole factory doesn't function well. Exactly. Yeah. So it goes it goes even a little bit further and and sleep obviously is is one of the absolutely critical things because we know that that whole master clock is essentially uh, controlled by light and dark that sets the circadian rhythms. So if if you're not responding to that signal that you need to sleep Again, it it disrupts the entire system, and this is why people who who have sleeping disorders, um, or why jet lag, for example, uh, affects the way people can perform and and basically feel during the day. Yeah, I'd like to get into your story a little bit because I think it really 
it shines a light on how we can we can kind of approach this. Some of us are younger than you. Some of us might be a little older than you, but you found yourself overweight near that obese line, and you made some pretty hard decisions at that point in your life. I think similar to my story, I made a decision, but it took me eight years before I really clicked in and actually got it. Uh, I think in your story, you said it took 10. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Because I think it's important for us to see that, you know, a lot of us are finding ourselves in our our middle age and we're we're all in the same place and there's a way out. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important to realize that I actually was very conscious of being fit and healthy. I exercised, I ate well, and I didn't realize prior to this catastrophic event that my weight was still creeping up, you know, bit by bit by bit. So, you know, when I was when I got married, I weighed about 112 pounds. I was in my 20s. And by the time this sort of catastrophic event had occurred, I weighed a lot more than that. But what happened was that I experienced a period of extreme sciatic pain as a result of spinal stenosis, which is when the your vertebrae, the, the area through which the nerves uh, run, close down through extra bone buildup and compress the nerves. And I had this experience of this catastrophic sciatic episode where literally for four months, I was unable to really do much walking. I was a couch potato and depressed and couldn't do all the things that brought me joy in life. And that was when I really had um, a major increase in my weight. So I found myself um, basically 40 pounds over what my ideal weight was. And really wasn't sort of, I was too depressed, quite honestly, to think about the impact that it was having on my health. And then I ended up having an emergency spinal surgery. And it was only when I was recovering from that with a determination that I, I, I wanted to be able to go on a ballroom dance cruise 10 months later that I really started realizing that I was on a downward trajectory from a health point of view and that I had to do something about it. And that was the genesis of what is now my roadmap to aging youthfully and keeping well and getting rid of all the what we call age-associated disorders. They're not really age-associated. They are unhealthy living-associated disorders. So that's basically um, my story of how this all came about. Okay. Now, um, one of the things I think that that I read that you were, was kind of driving you was the, your parents' history mm-hmm. of heart disease. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that meant to you? Right. Well, both my parents um, died of um, of coronary artery disease and then heart attacks, and the experience, uh, particularly um, of, of my mother's death, was amazingly impactful for me because she literally had a heart attack, died in front of me, and I was unable to resuscitate her. 
So I had been aware of um, our family history of heart disease and attending a preventative health program. Um, I've got a lot to say about that because mainly what they were trying to do was get me onto a statin and also the nutritional advice that I was given at that time, I thought was, was really, really poor. So basically, one of the things that I realized I had to attack as I was creating my roadmap to age well was to figure out what were the things that were putting me at risk um, for heart disease. And so, you know, for me, the primary thing is nutritional obesity, inactivity. And so those were the kind of things that I focused on to create a, a, a heart healthy me. Well, and and you didn't you didn't you weren't twenty nine years old when this happened. Uh, this was this was later in your life because a lot of people say, oh well, of course she lost forty pounds because she was you know twenty something years old, and that's when it's easy to lose this weight. You were you're a wee bit older than that, right? I was a lot older than that. It was well past i I'd, I'd been retired from from medicine for gosh, I can't even remember how many years, probably about ten years at the time. So I was certainly not the i was I was in the age category where it it's almost inevitable if you don't watch it that you will massively gain weight so, <laughs> right. And, and so the reason the reason I wanted to bring that up is is I've had a lot of people say, well, it's impossible to lose weight. It's impossible for a woman after the age of fifty to lose weight. And proof positive, no, it's not. You just have to do the right things for yourself. Well, I describe you know very clearly how when I was recovering from uh, the surgery and I realized you know I had to lose weight and I started initially I had followed all the wrong, wrong nutritional information, which, you know, professionally and intellectually, I knew was wrong, but the recommendations were so pervasive, you know, eat three meals a day and, you know, keep your blood sugar level. Uh, but so I, my, my first step was to realize that essentially what I had to do was cut out carbs. And I went on, I would call a low carb diet, almost keto, but not keto. And immediately, the effects that uh, that I saw from that was my mood was was improved. I didn't have that hangry sort of uh, anger, hunger sensation, you know, around about ten o'clock in the morning. I sort of describe how um, I, I was working um, at one stage when I was trying to lose weight. And I had these amazing muffins that I made, which were bran muffins packed with delicious dried fruits, apricots, and everything. And that was my breakfast. So I would head off to, before work, I would head off to the exercise class, come back, and my breakfast would be this muffin and some yogurt. And by 10 o'clock, I was so hungry again that I, I sort of make the comment that anybody who sort of dared walk into my office was in danger of being cannibalized because I was so hungry. So, and that was the rebound from, you know, high carb, insulin goes up and boom, uh, you crash a little later. But as soon as I started on the low carb diet, basically cutting out, you know, potatoes, pizza, um, rice, anything like that, I found that the first thing that happened was brain fog completely disappeared. 
I lost all of that hunger and that that anger. I, I just wasn't hungry. And my energy level increased and the weight just started coming off. And then ultimately, I've, I had to go completely keto. And that was when I lost the remaining, um, I guess, 10 pounds that I wanted to lose in a very short time. And quite honestly, I've adhered to a ketogenic diet. I don't want to call it a diet, ketogenic lifestyle ever since, uh, basically eating whole foods, you know, a lot of protein, no carbs other than those that come from certain vegetables and the occasional berries and um, healthy fats. So I eat all the foods that I love and um, feel great. Great. Now your your mother your mother had a bout with skin cancer and we really haven't I really haven't talked about skin cancer. Uh, but for those of us that were, you know, sun lovers when we were younger, because, you know, it made our young bodies look, at least we thought, makes our young bodies look nicer, um, having a nice tan. Uh, many of us are, are starting to see some of the um, some of the ramifications of that, be it the age spots. But then, of course, every once in a while, these um, these things that come up and we have to go see a dermatologist. Uh, your mother had one of those episodes. And so as a result, you made some changes to the way you care for your skin. Uh, could you tell us about that? Yes. Well, my mom was was sort of blonde, blue-eyed. And, we, you know, we all grew up in South Africa. And um, I spent a lot of time on the beach, you know, slathered with oil, um, really getting tanned and, and, as you say, brown and feeling it was really cool and sexy. And then uh, we had moved to Canada by the time uh, this episode happened with my mum. And she basically said to me, Jill, there's, there's a funny little sore on my leg um, and I, I'm not sure what it is. And I I didn't know what it is. I'm not a dermatologist, but I thought this is not you're normal. The, you're the doctor in the family. Come look yeah, at it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, was, I was an intellectual doctor, all about biochemistry and metabolism. Anyway, it turned out that she, she had a melanoma. And, you know, fortunately, we got it early. It was removed. But... Again, my concern because of all these sort of early exposure to sunlight, um, obviously, you know, I am at risk and um, I try to tell my kids uh, to, to be careful. And there is a dermatologist uh, here who, who came up with a, a really interesting slogan and it's on your birthday, check out your birthday suit to remind people, if they, particularly people who are um, what we call Fitzpatrick groups, sort of one and two, the blonde, blue-eyed, red-haired groups of people. But I want to make one interesting point about that. So um, we haven't really discussed uh, um, the fact that there is an epigenetic supplement which resets something like 1,200 genes throughout your body. And when this particular uh, supplement was um, introduced, one of the studies that was carried out uh, was a study of 40 people who were in this Fitzpatrick group one and two. And basically, they were looking to see if it could in any way protect against sun damage. And so they basically, on an unexposed part of the body, 
um, did three sort of focal areas where they put really small doses, focal doses of UV light and increasing doses. And um, in the one where there was the major, the, the highest dose, did a little skin biopsy and looked to see, uh, count the a number of damaged cells. And then for eight weeks, these 40 people took this one particular supplement that has uh, things like the carotenoids, which like lutein, that actually protect against blue light. And at the end of the eight weeks, they repeated the experiment and they found that there was a diminution of the area that looked burnt, the reddish area. But the key thing that was a total surprise and really um, significant was the fact that in the, the first biopsy, compared to the second biopsy, the number of dead cells were double. So after eight weeks of this particular protection through these carotenoid supplements, um, the the number of dead cells or damaged cells was almost half. So that was really interesting because it, it was showing that something that one was taking internally had a protective effect on the cells. And I found that really fascinating. So I've been very meticulous um, about keeping up that particular um, uh, supplement and touch wood so far, uh, you know, I'm well uh, um, older than the age at which my mom's melanoma was discovered. And so far, my skin looks great. So, you know, prevention, obviously, don't get these sun, these huge sunburns. There's recommendations about sunscreens. You've got to be really careful because some of them have some toxic ingredients. You have to be really selective about what you use. And I also think we need sun exposure for vitamin D. So it's, it's you know, I'm not a dermatologist. And I'm, I'm, no, I'm not practicing medicine. I don't treat or prescribe or anything. I have retired. Um, but I think that that's something, you know, preventative things that people should consider. Okay. Now, I want to spring back a little bit. Uh, you were talking about your back surgery, and um, for a lot of folks, uh, we're going we're gonna to have an injury. Uh, I think your injury, you, you kind of traced back to probably when you were way younger, and then this was just something that progressed from that. Um, that's what I sort of read into the book. I'm not absolutely certain that was the, the history there, but you always had some aches and pains in your back, but then you had a, a basically a medical emergency. And that's when uh, you had your surgery. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then the more what's more important, I think, here is to actually talk about your approach towards recovery, because right. you did a lot of things uh, that I think are very different from the way a lot of people would approach recovery. Right. I, I think the first thing is, although I kind of attributed the um, the, the spinal stenosis to the early back injury that I had when I fell off a horse. I think in reality, so many people as a result of osteoarthritis, which is one of the things that sort of happens in a spine as in all other joints, many people end up with spinal stenosis and um, severe sciatica. In fact, in the last couple of years, 
um, one of my one of my clients and one of my family members have needed to have the exact same surgery um, for spinal stenosis. So it's far more common. It, it you know whether or not you've fallen off a horse at at <laughs> seventeen. So for me, I think the key to recovery was mindset because. I was bounded and determined that I would not have to give up my ballroom dancing, which was my hobby and passion and, and my fitness activity. And so I had this surgery in February. And to my absolute amazement, it was like a seven-hour surgery. I've got metal rods all the way down the, the right side of my um of my spine still in place and no, they don't set off anything at airports. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about that was the next morning when I woke up after the seven hour surgery, um, a physiotherapist came in and said to me, um, how's the pain? Do you have any pain? And I thought that was absolutely hilarious because it was the first time in forever that I had absolutely no back pain because I was so doped up on all, all the, you know, the intravenous uh, painkillers and things. Anyway, so she says to me, you're going to get out of bed and walk. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I've just had major spinal surgery. But she got me out of bed and we took the first sort of tentative walks um, around the ward. So that said to me something really important is you don't have to go and sit around and, and lie around waiting for to heal. The most important healing thing is going to be activity. And so when I was discharged after two days from the hospital, having expected to be in there for at least a week to recover, um, I was really fortunate in that one of my sons had come to be with me um, for the recovery period. And he said to me, Mom, you want to get back on the dance floor? We are going to work at it. And so we started a program of, um, you know, I would go down in the elevator uh, to, with, we have a lovely sea walk around the, the, um, the False Creek where I live. And we started off doing five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the afternoon. And then increasing it gradually so that by the time he left I was walking you know very tentatively and very terrified but walking um for I think it was about 20 minutes either way and then gradually in, I increased that I also um was very fortunate in that the physiotherapist had recommended a particular type of rehabilitation walking pole, which was actually invented by um, a local occupational therapist. And she's now built this up into um, a, a significant program for aiding in rehabilitation. So with the, the walking poles, I was able to safely and comfortably go out walking by myself. And, you know, gradually, basically, my mindset said, I want to be back dancing. And um, I think it was at, by 16 weeks, uh, I saw the, um, the spinal surgeon, and he was amazed at the progress and sort of said, yes, you know, everything's in place, kind of go away, I don't need to see you again. <laughs> so I think the essence of that was, I was at a, at a point in a journey 
I knew where I wanted to go. I knew where I was. And so it was really the the mindset and the determination of how I could get from point A to point B safely. And one of the other aspects to that is um, I worked out with a trainer. And for me, the most valuable aspect of that was not that he was, you know, saying one more, one more, one more kind of thing, but that he helped me understand that I didn't have to be afraid that what I was doing was going to re-injure myself. So again, mindset, having a coach um, is is absolutely critical. Yeah. And, and so what I took away from that was that you you put a team together Mm-hmm. And you had your mission, your passion. You knew where you were going and you put you got a team together. So you had your physio, you had your trainer, you had your doctor, and and you were listening to them and doing the right things uh for yourself to get yourself where you are. And as a result, you're dancing again. Right. And I had a dance teacher. <laughs> and you had a dance teacher. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Jill, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Well, basically, I sort of encompass all of that in what I call, similarly to you, my roadmap for aging youthfully. And the components for for me are sort of mind, body, and for want of a better word, spirit. So from the mind perspective, you need to know where you are and where you want to go. And so initially, I get people to really understand what their risks are, what is their genetic blueprint that they've inherited, what among those things are foundational uh, that they can actually change. I mean, none of us can predict being you know, knocked over by a car or developing a particular cancer, but there are a lot of things that we can change through, through lifestyle. The second important component is body. And, you know, you've already mentioned the three things that that people need to really consider. Sleep is absolutely essential. Uh, Eating well is absolutely essential. And um, the last thing is keeping mentally and physically active all of the time. The third component is what I call spirit, is the recognition that you are actually part of many larger things. So you can make your contribution by being of service to others. You can challenge yourself. You can become part of a community. So those are sort of the three ways in which I phrase um, the way in which one can live youthfully and age well. The one thing that I, with my particular uh, group of people, don't really um, have a chance to talk about because usually by the time they come to me, they're you know my age kind of thing. Um, but I realize that most of the problems that um, present in later life we know have their genesis much earlier, as as you say, forty plus. So um, one of the things is, you know, I didn't, I didn't really take notice of the fact that how I was basically accumulating body fat b- 
bit by bit by bit so that you don't you're not suddenly one day obese but you're sort of getting there so really paying attention to nutrition early early on the second thing is we know that osteoporosis osteopenia and you know muscle problems sarcopenia all start early and you know had i thought about it i you know i felt healthy and you know, I was active, I was exercising. I never, ever for a minute thought about making sure that my calcium and phosphate uh, are adequate when I was in my 40s and preventing osteoporosis. Um, so those are the kinds of things that that I think um, are re- like there is, we all know, you know, prevent cancer, don't smoke, don't drink kind of thing, you know, I would say don't skydive, but <laughs> but there are preventative things that are, should become part of our life that we really never talk about until it's kind of too late. So that that would be so that's why I I love your whole concept of you know forty plus because that's when it all starts. Yeah, well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you there and say it's never too late. Start today. Uh, you know, it's never too late. Start today. I don't, I don't care if you're in your forties, your fifties, your sixties, your seventies, your eighties, your nineties. You, if you, if you've got another breath in you, you can eat the right food. You can move the right way. You can start doing things to improve your health, improve your fitness and be happier. But, you know, I think the key to all of that is, is mindset. You have to know what you want, and it has to be important enough to you for you to take make changes. So most of the, when I talk to people about what is their current fear, what is their long-term fear, most of them say they want to be able to be mentally and physically active and independent toward the end of life so that they don't have their family and friends worrying about them. They don't have to go into a home. And so it's the decision that that is important to you that will make you do things like, you know, look at your nutrition, make sure you have adequate, you know, sleep and that you keep active because one of the one of the complaints that that I get from a lot of people is, you know, I can't I I can't fast. Uh, you know, it, it's I I would be hungry all the time. I can't give up my sugar. Da 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 da. You know, so, which tells me that they haven't made the decision to achieve what they say they want to. So it's it's I believe it all starts up here with your CEO. I agree. Jill, if someone wanted to learn more about you, learn more about the book, Growing Older, Living Younger, where would you like for me to send them? Well, to get the book, um, which is a a paperback book, um, at jillianlockich.com. So just G-I-L-L-I-A-N-L-O-C-K-I-T-C-H.com. That is uh, for me to be able to send uh, books directly to people who are anywhere in North America, so the USA or Canada. Anybody else at this stage um, would have to get the digital Kindle edition, um, which is, you know, online. 
All right. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 588, and I'll be sure to have the links there. If anybody would like uh, more information from me, I'll just give you my email. Uh, it's askdrgill at gmail.com. Askdrgill at gmail.com. And I will answer you. It may not be immediately because I get a lot of emails, but uh, that's where you can contact me and find out um, what information there is about my programs, etc. Jill. Thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. I'm honored, actually, Alan, that you uh, invited me, and it's been delightful talking to you. Thank you. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. That was a really neat discussion. There's so many things I want to ask you about. Um but you started talking about how genes are like dimmer switches, but I don't think you went fully into the concept of, of what the, why a gene is like a dimmer switch that you can yeah. raise or lower or whatever. Well, you know, we, we, we had Dr. Uh, if you remember, we had Dr. Hood on and mm -hmm. he was the one, he's one of the guys, he, he developed the equipment that they use to sequence the human genome. Mm -hmm. and, and prior to all that, there was a strong belief that 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 once we knew the human genome, we would mm -hmm. defeat disease entirely because we would mm -hmm. know which genes are causing which diseases. And as a result, you know, nobody we would figure out who was going to get sick long before they ever got sick. And well, uh, it's a lot more complex than that. And it so is. what it is is they came <laughs> up with they they realized, okay, it's it's how the genes are expressed. And so initially mm -hmm. they thought they were like on off switches. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you're uh, really old school and you owned a computer back in the 80s, uh, they used to have dip switches, which are these okay. little on and off switches. And so depending on how you wanted to run your computer, like if you were going to be doing video games or something that was high in, um, in certain um, video stuff on your screen, you know, high resolution stuff, you had to do the dimmers, you do the sw dip switches a certain way, and then it would work better for that. And then you could change it up if you were going to use it or something else. So it, basically these dip switches helped you kind of manage the computer. It, now okay. that's all automated. It does it itself. But the reality of it is that's not how epigenetics works either. It's not an on or off thing. Mm -hmm. It's a dimmer switch. So it's, it's sort of like, it, it's, it's not zeros and ones like binary. It can be anywhere along that spectrum, just based on exposures, based on all kinds of things that are going on in the world. So if, you know, if you're doing the right things, you know, the, the five core things, you're, you're exercising, you're eating well, you're sleeping well, you're managing stress, and you're, you're basically being social and enjoying your life, uh, mm -hmm. having purpose and people and all those things. If you're doing those five things, you're communicating to your body through epigenetics that you're okay. And then your body functions the way it's supposed to. So to kind of give you a, an idea, okay, so someone who smokes all the time, um, yeah, they're putting stuff in their lungs and they're messing up their epithelial cells in their, in their, throughout their blood vessels and everything, but mm -hmm. you know, they increase their chances of cancer, particularly mm -hmm. lung cancer, esophageal cancer, heart attack and stroke. And it's because they're basically that epigenetics, they have the genes that can allow them to get those cancers, and then they're feeding it. They're basically mm -hmm. dimming that switch and saying, no, I don't, I don't want you to do your job, buddy, because 
if you're over 50, you have cancer cells in your body. You just do. The, mm -hmm. Our cells, particularly as we get a little older, uh, they're going to mutate. They're going to have some problems. So a mutated cell is, is a cancerous cell. Now, 99.99% mm -hmm. of the time, your body sees that and you have an immune response and it mm -hmm. kills that cell before it can become something worse. Mm -hmm. But if we're not living right, if we're not mm -hmm. doing the right lifestyle things, then we're turning off our ability to heal, our ability mm -hmm. to fight that. And that's mm -hmm. how this stuff happens is literally, you know, if you're, if you're smoking, if you're doing these other things, uh, you're literally communicating to your body. Don't worry about that cancer. We got other things to worry about. Yeah. And your body doesn't, you know, if you're not eating enough food. So someone who's trying to lose weight and is on this extreme, you know, 1200, a thousand dollars, thousand calorie or less diet, mm. you're basically telling your body turn off non-essential functions, which right. your body assumes the immune system is a non-essential function because mm -hmm. it's not something that we used to have to have turned on all the time. Right. You know, you get a little right. cut, you want your immune system to work. You eat something mm -hmm. you're not supposed to work, eat, your immune system starts to work. But in mm -hmm. today's age, when we're eating non-food stuff, yeah. when we're smoking, when we're doing drinking, when we're not exercising, when we're not getting sun, when we're not doing mm -hmm. the things that are necessary, our body shuts off functions. Mm -hmm. And it it just doesn't work. And so, sure. you know, a lot of the things that she's talking about in here, you know, it's not that it's, you know, she they were from South Africa, I think, initially. So they were in, in when you're from the Southern Hemisphere and you have white skin <laughs> predominantly, that yeah. sun exposure is is pretty intense. And That's so in the and the, you know, apparently the ozone layer is thinner there. And so it just kind of creates an environment where extreme sunburns. Mm -hmm. can happen. And so she was always in the sun, you know, wanting to get the tan, wanting to look mm -hmm. a certain way when she was younger, which is again, why she would have such a big concern. Her mother got skin cancer and she wants to do the things that are necessary to make sure her body is able to protect itself. So yeah. that's eating certain things. She is taking a certain supplement that, you know, the preliminary science on it says that this would help from an epigenetic perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and she wears sunscreen and she doesn't get, let herself get burned anymore. Um, so there's things that you can do to yeah. reduce risk when you, particularly if you know when you're at risk. And so we had, you know, yeah. so we had Dr. Hood on and they strongly believe that in, um, you know, within a short amount of time here, we're going to have kind of a huge blueprint at a single person level to mm -hmm. be able to catch these things early mm -hmm. and early, uh, Detection is a key to not letting it get to a really bad disease state. Now, right. he's not talking about you go in for your annual look at your skin birthday suit event mm -hmm. and you see something unusual. So you go see a dermatologist. He's talking about catching it before that even happens. Because if we know that you're someone who's predisposed for um, skin cancer, and your history was you got burned several times extremely badly when you were younger. Mm -hmm. um, we just know that you have a higher likelihood. So they can be scanning you for the very first indications of that cell, mm -hmm. a, a mutated cell that has the potential to become skin cancer and can begin doing things then. So it's not like they have to cut a chunk out of you to solve this problem, yeah. they can literally do it before it's even that. 
Yeah, there's a lot of good science being done right now in terms of melanomas. Even just on the news this week, they talked about a custom vaccine where they do a biopsy of these cells and make it into an mRNA vaccine, just like what we had (laughs) recently. And that combined with another immunotherapy product um, could uh, has shown to reduce reoccurrence by, I think, in the 40s, 40% or so. So yeah, and catastrophic uh, reoccurrences at that. So there's a lot of good science. That's an important one. Um, Skin cancer is something that's really easy to be screened for and, and pay attention to. If you have an unusual mole and it's changing mm-hmm. sizes or it's multiple different mm-hmm. colors, um, mm-hmm. then that's that's worth having a conversation with your doctor. And so it is, you know, that's one of the advantages that all this stuff is going to have mm-hmm. is just recognizing that that data and how you manage yourself are all going to be a part of this whole formula. And that's yeah. that's really where she comes off is she's like the, one of the living examples of someone who got to retirement age. Mm-hmm. and realized that her life is probably not over yet. There's things she wants to do. That's uh, awesome. You know, she wants to go dance, and that requires, you know, a lot of um, stamina and strength mm-hmm. and capacity and mobility and balance. And so, you know, she wanted to do that. And she doesn't just do it like going to the rec center in her town. She goes mm-hmm. and gets on a cruise somewhere around the world oh, gosh. and then they dance that, you know, they dance at night, I guess, when the boat's hmm. going where it's supposed to go. So instead of sitting in a casino or uh, whatever else people do on cruises besides, eat, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> you know, she's dancing. And so that's, that was one of her, her things. And she and her husband had a bucket list, but unfortunately he passed before she, oh. she did. And so before her, even her retirement. And so all the things that they had planned to do together, Mm-hmm. she still wants to do. It's not, awesome. you know, so she's going to still do those things. And that's really what this book is about is someone claiming control of themselves, claiming mm-hmm. control of them li- their lives, using what we know today with science and everything and, and doing it. And I so, you know, she's, um, she's able to do all the things she wants to do. And I would dare say there's quite a few people out there her age that would never be able to do that because they're just not doing the work. They're not doing the thing. They're not eating the right way. They're not moving the right way. Um, And therefore their retirement is not nearly as nice as what she's able to experience. Well, I'm glad that she figured out that she had goals and in order to reach those goals, she needed to make some changes. And it sounds like she'll have a wonderful retirement. Um, Looks like it. Although she said she (laughs) already has enough, you know, because, you know, it's the same with me. I probably technically could have just retired, you know, mm-hmm. get a little bitty place and just retire, but that's mm-hmm. not my nature um, to do that at fifties. Uh, so I'm still working. Tammy's still working. And the same thing here with Jill is she ended up, you know, still working, still doing things. She's got her own podcast, which I'm going to be a guest on. I'm, again, oh, cool. I interviewed on her podcast. I don't know when that's going to air, uh, but again, it's one of those things. <laughs> Uh, and so it's just, yeah, uh, you know, she's just doing this, uh, this stuff and, and keeping herself busy and, uh, basically any money she makes from her, uh, her new career, which is basically her third career, um, is going into her buying these cruises. <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. You know, I, I find the people that I've known recently to retire, speaking of my parents and some of, of their friends, they don't sit still. 
I mean, yeah. no, who can sit still? When you think of retirement, you don't think of just sitting in the lounge chair watching TV all day long. At least my parents and my friends of, of our family, they don't. They just, they stay busy. They got things they need to do. And, and it's pretty exciting. It is, but you're making that decision today. Yes. You know, yes. you're making you that decision today. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to have, we're going to have Thomas Hine on soon. Cool. And, or no, he was already on last week. Um, I think, la- yeah, last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so Thomas, you know, basically he's a financial planner. Yeah. But yep. he looks at his, his um, clients and says, you know, why, why, you know, if you follow what you're doing right now mm-hmm. um, and you're obese in your fifties or overweight in your fifties, and then you're going to carry that till retirement, um, you're probably not going to have a long retirement. So, you know, having uh, seven figures in your bank account on, on the retirement date, that's all admirable, uh, mm-hmm. but you may not get to spend any of it. Right. Um, you know, because he's had clients that passed even before they retired, you know, they're just, they work, 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 work. They're 60 years old. They have a heart attack and they're done. Mm-hmm. And so we're making those decisions every day mm-hmm. and it's our epigenetics in our bodies. That's actually making that happen. That's that, this, the communication to our genes of how to mm-hmm. express themselves. And so the more you do, that's good for yourself, the better off your genes are going to be at taking care of you. Right. And the more you'll enjoy your retirement. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Well, Raz, I will talk to you next week. Great. Take care, Alan. You too. Thank you. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we discuss how to overcome a victim mindset that's holding you back from being healthy and fit. Until then, have a happy and healthy week. <laughs>